The list of miscalculations made by Russian President Vladimir Putin about the consequences of his invasion of Ukraine is long. But one of the more grievous, at least from Moscow's perspective, was that a war launched at least in part to arrest the enlargement of NATO had the effect of swelling NATO's numbers. In the early months of the war, Sweden and Finland, spooked by Russia's rampage, announced that they would end decades of tiptoeing along the fence and apply to join the alliance. The accession protocols were signed at last July's NATO summit in Madrid. After the invitation, uh, we need the ratification process in 30 parliaments. That always takes some time, but I expect also that to go rather quickly because uh, allies are uh, ready to try to uh, make that ratification process happen as quickly as possible. But Sweden and Finland are not members yet, and this week further doubt has been sown that Sweden, at least, ever will be. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, has said that Sweden should not expect Turkey's support. You will note that he has not explicitly said it will not be forthcoming, an ambiguity to which we shall return. Under NATO's rules, all 30 members of the alliance have to formally ratify new applications, and two NATO members have not, Turkey and Hungary. Hungary's eventual agreement has already been signalled. Last November, Prime Minister Viktor Orban announced that his government would ratify Sweden and Finland's membership early this year, rather suggesting that Orban had been briskly reminded that his country is barely bigger by population than London, has a military that would be comfortably outgunned by Singapore, that everyone's patience with Orban's tedious grandstanding was wearing perilously thin, and that now would be a good time to get with the programme. With Turkey, it isn't so easy. Turkey is a colossally important member of NATO. In terms of manpower, Turkey fields NATO's second largest military after the United States. Geographically, Turkey is NATO's bulwark against the Middle East, bordering Syria, Iraq and Iran, and is the gatekeeper of the Black Sea. So when the president of Turkey harumphs, and for President Erdogan, harumphing has been the recurrent motif of his diplomacy, the rest of NATO is obliged to listen, or at least wearily enact the rituals and gestures attendant upon pretending it is listening. Erdogan has been harumphing in Stockholm's direction since Sweden applied to NATO, aggrieved that Sweden is too soft for his liking on Kurdish opponents of his who live there. Erdogan's latest vault onto his high horse has been prompted by a couple of recent indecorous demonstrations in Sweden. Earlier this month, Kurdish protesters in Stockholm hung an effigy of Erdogan from a lamppost, a stunt which was condemned by Swedish leaders, who also rather ingeniously tried to spin it as a bid to undermine Sweden's NATO application, a gambit with which Erdogan was apparently unimpressed. And on Saturday, Rasmus Paludan, leader of Denmark's far-right clue-in-the-name party Hardline, though also a Swedish citizen, burned a copy of the Koran outside Turkey's embassy in Stockholm. 
While it is tempting to suggest that the correct response from Sweden's authorities would have been to tell Paludan that they were not going to furnish his protest with police protection and invited him to take his chances, this would obviously not have been conducive to public order, and so police were duly provided, which seems to have further inflamed Erdogan's already fervoured dudgeon. It is very obvious that those who allow such blasphemy in front of our embassy no longer expect our support for the NATO membership. Rasmus Paludan is, of course, a tiresome, attention-seeking jackass. As such, the truly statesmanlike move from Erdogan would have been to feign complete indifference to his discourtesy. But clowns like Paludan and demagogues like Erdogan knowingly participate in a symbiotic relationship in which each thrives off the other. Reactionaries gonna react, and Erdogan took the bait, but only because he believed it would nourish him. Turkey votes in a parliamentary and presidential election in May, and Erdogan can scarcely campaign on his economic record. Turkey's inflation is so rampant that Erdogan hailed December's year-on-year figure of a mere 64.2% as a significant improvement. Last year alone, according to the best guesses of one Turkish trade association, roughly 85,000 small businesses closed. Though Erdogan has taken the elementary precaution of having at least one possible opponent hauled before court on an altogether ridiculous pretext, Istanbul Mayor Ekrem İmamoğlu currently appealing against a 31-month sentence for describing election officials as idiots, he faces a struggle on the domestic front. So a foreign antagonist suits Erdogan nicely, even if it's no small project to manufacture a convincing bogeyman from Sweden, which imposes itself on the world stage largely through solid furniture, stolid family vehicles, and somewhat antiseptic pop music, and has barely fired a shot in anger since a minor rumpus with Norway in 1814. But such is the ironic essence of the nationalist strongman. Their pitch is always, essentially, that their country, however mighty and glorious, is in fact vulnerable and threatened. Erdogan's market for this moonshine is Turkey's equivalent of those Russians who believe themselves menaced by Ukraine, or Americans who fear Mexico. And beyond the election, should he win it, Erdogan would like to see Turkey readmitted to the United States F-35 program, from which it was ejected in 2019 after buying missiles from Russia. So as to the big question, would Turkey really, push meets shove, stop Sweden from joining NATO? The likely answer is no, but we may be a while yet from hearing it definitively. For Monocle24, I'm Andrew Muller.